0: Add my uh, welcome to you all. It's a sweet blessing to worship together. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles or your electronic devices, as it were, to Genesis chapter 43, and we're going to resume our sermon series on Genesis chapters 37 through 50, entitled Becoming a Company of Peoples. <clears throat> if we kept a personal record, of every offense anyone committed against us, what relationship could stand? Certainly, if we, were, if we required atonement for every time the toilet seat was left up or the lights were not turned off or the meeting time was forgotten or the joke was told in bad taste, life would just be this exhausting existence of tiptoeing our way through an endless minefield of, of justice. I think this is why the Bible says, love covers a multitude of sins. It's 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. It's why the Bible says, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Proverbs nineteen eleven. In other words... Small sins can be, maybe, easily forgotten. But major offenses, on the other hand, are a different story. Just ask the family of Ron Johnson, the local prison guard whose killer, Rodney Burgett, was executed here in Sioux Falls just this past week by lethal injection. When someone has sinned against you in a traumatic, life-altering way, just just apologizing is uh, not enough. And further, listen carefully to this. Forgiving someone who has sinned against us deeply, it's, it's not necessarily the same thing as being reconciled to them. And restored to a new and healthy relationship with them. Perhaps you have at some time experienced a painful relational falling out with someone. Perhaps somebody has done you great harm. We cannot just pretend that nothing happened or that their sin was not serious. In order to be truly reconciled, there needs to be Repentance and remorse over the sin, the kind of genuine gospel repentance that issues in a changed life. And it is this kind of relational reconciliation that God is up to in this part of the Joseph story. God has not simply sort of repositioned Joseph as a practical means of sustaining Jacob's family in the midst of this global food crisis. God's position is, His purpose is higher than this. God's purpose is to restore and to renew a family's deeply broken relationships and to transform them into a better than new condition. That's because God's promise to this family was to make them into a company of peoples a church of nations we get that in Genesis 35:11 when God says to Jacob I am God Almighty be fruitful and multiply a nation and company of nations shall come from you from you It's reiterated again in Genesis 48 verse 4 Behold I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make of you a company of peoples. But in order for that to happen, a key piece of the plan, that would be Joseph, needed encouragement. He needed to see that his brothers had, in fact, changed. Joseph himself needed to change. But loved ones, this is, such is the power of the gospel of God. Through the fulfillment of the promise of the new covenant, hearts are changed. God is in the business of making unlikely peace among broken people and fractured families. This is how he builds the church. This is how he builds a church of nations. So, let's pick up the story, Genesis 43. I'm going to read most of this chapter, so bear with me, and uh, please follow along. Now, the famine was severe in the land. And when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their fathers said to them, Go again, buy us a little food. But Judah said to him, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you will send our brother with us, we'll go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with is with you. And when the author of a narrative text repeats himself, we take notice of those things. So register that. Israel said, Why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? And they replied, the man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was an answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, bring your brother down? And Judas said to Israel, his father, send the boy with me and we will arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. If we had not delayed, we would have now returned twice. And then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags, carry a present down to the man, a little balm, a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, almonds. Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also Your brother, and arise, go again to the man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man, and may he send back your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I'm bereaved of my children, I'm bereaved. Verse 18. The men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house. And they said, it's because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we are brought in. So that he may assault us and fall upon us to make us servants and seize our donkeys. So they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and said, Oh my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food. And when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks And there was each man's money in the mouth of his sack. Our money in full weight. So we've brought it again with us. And we have brought other money down with us to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. And he replied, Peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your Father has put treasure In your sacks for you. I received your money. And then he brought Simeon out to them. Verse 26. When Joseph came home, they brought in the house to him, the present that they had with them, and bowed down to him to the ground. And he inquired about their welfare and said, Is your father well? The old man whom you spoke, is he still alive? And they said, your servant, our father, is well. He's still alive. And they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. And then Joseph hurried out for his compassion, grew Warm for his brother. And he sought a place to weep, and he entered his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out, and controlling himself, he said, Serve the food. Verse 33. And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at one another in amazement. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. And they drank and were merry with him. This is God's holy, an authoritative word. Let's pray. Oh, how you speak to us, Lord. Oh, how you speak to us through your word like no other way. And so as you have communicated yourself to us today, we ask for the blessing of the outpouring of your Holy Spirit that you might open the eyes of our hearts so that we're not just understanding with our minds but we we are being affected in our hearts and our souls as you act upon us for your glory getting things done renewing our heart's relationship with you and God if it would please you to restore Relationships that may be broken, whether here or those whom we care about, and so we trust you now to do all that would please you in Jesus name. Amen in his um, <clears throat> it's an excellent book uh, called uh, entitled Unpacking Forgiveness chris Bronze, the author, offers what he calls a forgiveness quiz. I'm going to give it to you right now. (laughs) The forgiveness quiz. So true or false? True or false? Where deep wounds are concerned, forgiveness can be unpacked in a moment. Answer? False. Unpacking forgiveness is complicated it's complicated it's it's like relocating a family you know you, you might move on a particular day but unpacking typically takes well if you're like my wife it might take a day but for other people it could take weeks months possibly it's a process it is a process second question true or false forgiveness occurs properly only when certain conditions are met Answer true, true. Think of it this way Does God forgive all people? Everybody, no. First John 1 9 says, If we confess our sins, then he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we do not confess our sins and turn from them and trust Christ's life as our righteousness, trusting His death as our atonement, then we remain unforgiven. True or false? Good people get to the bottom of all their disagreements. False. There are times, probably more times than we would like to admit, when good people simply cannot reach an agreement about what went wrong, why somebody was offended, who was right, who was wrong. It's just the way it is. True or false? There are times when it is wrong to forgive. Answer? True. Though uh, a Christ follower must Always have a willingness to forgive or have an disposition, an attitude of forgiveness, automatic forgiveness. That's too simplistic. It, it encourages forgiveness so broadly that it diminishes the justice of God and compromises the integrity of true forgiveness. Now, my aim in this sermon is to offer encouragement and clarity to those of you who find yourselves conflicted when it comes to discerning whether or not it's right to forgive a particular someone. My, my objective is to offer encouragement to those of you who feel stuck when it comes to restoring a broken relationship or broken relationships like Joseph perhaps you have made it your aim to turn the page and to the best of your ability just forget it put it behind you let it go listen God may not restore peace to your family this side of heaven. God, God deals, He doesn't deal with everybody the same way in the same time frame, nor does He heal every hurt of our hearts here and now. Yet, Genesis chapter 43 reminds us that God has the power. He has the power to heal even your family, the most broken family. Sometimes, He restores our brokenness in astonishing ways in the present, and the end of your story and the story of your family is not yet all told. So, do not give up hope for divine restoration. (laughs) Even if your family remains unreconciled here on earth, ultimately God has a plan for the complete peace of all His people in heaven. All of the sinful brokenness that now causes such pain on that day will be fully healed and all of the tears that have been shed over our families will be wiped away as we are made fully one in Christ. Until that day, here's some encouragement. Encouragement number one, God subjugates all things for the accomplishment of His purpose. I realize probably now that might be an unfortunate word, (laughs) subjugates, but it's a good word. Means God takes something that's maybe not good and he turns it into a servant, he makes it subject to his. Purposes, and, and, and in this case, not even a severe natural disaster was an obstacle to God accomplishing His aim of making a broken family into a church of and for the nations. Rather, it was this severe natural disaster that was in fact the impetus for the accomplishment of God's purposes. Look at verses 1 through 5 again. Now the famine was severe in the land, and when they had eaten the grain that they had brought up from Egypt, their father said to them, go again, buy us a little food, buy us another month, buy us another whatever. But Judah said to him, the man solemnly warned us, saying, you shall not see my face unless your brother's with you. Verse 5. If you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, You shall not see my face unless your brother's with you. So Jacob was unbending. He, w- he would not budge from his bitterness, it had taken hold. Joseph, though, now free and in a position of significant authority, would not move toward his family. And the ten brothers kept their darkest sin a secret. But God, God broke into the stalemate by turning a tragedy into a servant. It brings to mind the William Cooper poem, which some will recognize as a hymn. God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. And as paradoxical as it seems, God in His wisdom has designed, he has designed the human soul to require suffering of various kinds in the redemptive process. Loved ones, this is a theme among us, you know this. we got to get it. Without suffering, we do not fully mature. Nor is the restoration of a broken relationship contingent upon everything going well. If you're waiting for everything to line up, waiting for a good day, waiting for everybody to be all responsive and ready, that's not necessary. God is not... These are not obstacles to the Lord. When it's the day, when it's the time for things to be made right... He will get the job done and he will subject everything to him himself in order to accomplish his purpose. His purposes will not be thwarted. That is for our encouragement. Here's a second encouragement. Restoring broken relationships, like unpacking forgiveness. It's a process. It is a process. It is a process, obviously, that begins with somebody's motivation, somebody's heart being moved, inclined, something which none of the parties in this narrative seem to possess at this point in time. Oh, but God is at work. Joseph, though, as one commentator says, emancipated and enthroned, He had, up until this point, made no effort to communicate his situation or his well-being to his father and family. You think they might have wanted to know? He could have. And instead, he chose to forget them. He chose to forget them, putting the suffering that they had caused him behind He thought he had closed that painful chapter of his life. That was why he named his firstborn Manasseh. Forgetful. It's past. I'm putting it past. But God's plans for Joseph and his brothers were different and more gracious. Then we have Jacob. Oh, Jacob. Israel. He is a sorry, sullen, self-pitying old man. Verse 6, Israel said, Why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother? I've heard statements like that come from my own mouth. (laughs) Bitterness has taken root. Fear, guilt, resignation. These have a vice grip hold on his heart. Verses 11 to 14. If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bags and carry a present down to the man. Take double the money with you. Carry back with you the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother. And arise, go again to the man. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man. And may he send... Listen to this phrase. May he send back your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I'm bereaved of my children, I'm bereaved. You you just hear this, that idolatrous favoritism. It's it's still just oozing. Jacob was so committed to holding on to Benjamin, even if it meant, who knows how how much time has gone past, months, months and months. They could have gone to Egypt back and forth twice. He, He was just so committed to holding on to Benjamin that even if the other brother who goes unnamed, except we know it's Simeon, You know, he he could never return. Big deal. And see, the irony here is that the fate that Jacob feared the very most, namely, losing his beloved son, was the very last thing that God had in mind. To Jacob, life without Joseph, life without Benjamin would be a living Sheol a hopeless, shadowy existence with no meaning or purpose. But God's aim was not to shatter Jacob's shalom, his peace. He meant to restore it to something new and far better. Loved ones, this, it's worth examining ourselves on this. Where? Ask yourself, where do I find myself saying to God, give me this or my life will not be worth living? Jacob's heavenly father wanted to bury those idols of his heart the same way he had buried his wife's idols in the ground about ten chapters back. And to achieve that goal, God took from him his beloved Joseph and then Benjamin in order that he might receive them both back, purified. Jacob had to be left completely alone, bereft of all his children so that he would once again be forced to trust in God alone, rely on God alone to fulfill the promise that he would have descendants like the sand of the sea. Another character here is Judah his redemptive story is beginning to unfold. The the very man who formulated the plan to sell Joseph back in Genesis 37, here is the guy who is now taking the initiative to save. To save. Even, this is powerful language, even bearing the blame forever if Benjamin doesn't return discernible compassion in this man for his father who had treated him as nothing. He can now relate to the pain of having lost sons, having two of his own boys die. He had learned the hard way through humility, through the school of brokenness, and he has not graduated yet there is still no confession of the ways in which he and his brothers had sinned against their father in the matter of joseph but god is at work it's a process substantive change restoration and reconciliation are not often are not often a, a sudden 180 degree turn It usually happens in smaller, incremental steps. And isn't this the the very thing that we should be attentive to in our strained and broken relationships? Small steps of change? Don't we oftentimes demand unrealistic levels of transformation from people and refuse to make any concessions until the other person has changed completely? Forgiveness is a process. And it involves learning to forgive others as God has forgiven us. We forgive others as God our Father has forgiven us. And how has God the Father forgiven us? Let's walk through some steps here before we... Come to the Lord's table. First, God's forgiveness is offered graciously. It's offered graciously. God's forgiveness begins with a gracious and unconditional offer to all. To all. This is what Jesus modeled when he prayed. Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. That's the disposition of our Father. Of our Savior. It's the heart of the matter in Genesis 43. You see, the key word in this chapter is a word that you don't see in the English. (laughs) Um, But it's the word shalom. Peace. It's there in verse 23. Peace to you. Do not be afraid. Remarkably, again, this is, we assume this is an Egyptian who has no faith in God, Yahweh, and yet here he is communicating peace. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. God has been gracious. The word pops up again in verses 26 to 20, well, 27 and 28. It says, when Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present that they had with them and bowed down to him to the ground. And he inquired about their shalom and said, is your father well? That's the word shalom. The old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? And they said, your father, our father is well. That's the word shalom. God's forgiveness, God's peace is gracious and offered to all. To all. Second, God's forgiveness is a commitment. I think it's popular to think of forgiveness in our day and age as a feeling. Like, I feel forgiving. True forgiveness is a, a promise. It's a promise to pardon. Jeremiah chapter 31 verse 34, in, in communicating the new covenant, God says, I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. That is a commitment a commitment. When God forgives us, he makes a commitment that our offenses are no longer counted against us. And forgiving others as God has forgiven us means we make a promise, a commitment to pardon. Ken Sandy, um, who, who writes so wisely on peacemaking and reconciliation, he He summarizes four promises that Christians make when they forgive one another. These would be well for us to take note of. I will not dwell on this incident. I will not bring up this incident again and use it against you. I will not talk to others about this incident I will not let this incident stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. Because you see, that's the way God our Father forgives. Those are the promises God our Father makes. That's much more than a feeling. It's a commitment. Thirdly, God's forgiveness is conditional. Though God's offer offer of forgiveness is graciously made to all, not all people are forgiven. Acts 20 verse 21 says, I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. If they don't repent and trust Christ, they will not be forgiven. We trust, and we obey, and we turn, and repent, and confess, and take hold of Christ. That's how we're forgiven. Christian forgiveness is a commitment to the repentant. It's not automatic. If the other party repents, then we forgive. Luke 17, verses 3 and 4, Jesus says, if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. So, Why does Joseph choose not to disclose his identity to his brothers right then and there? It's godly wisdom to wait and to see if they are truly repentant. Great harm had been done. (laughs) To just act like it didn't happen, would have been devastating and not truly forgiving. He's generous hearted. His compassion is growing. He sees his younger brother and, and he loses it. Got to go to the men's room and get himself composed. But he also puts his brothers to the test to discover if they had changed, to discover if their attitude towards the other favorite son was any different than it had been towards him. And so the other favorite son is seated in the preferred position at the table. The other favorite son receives preferred portions five times as much as anybody else. If their hearts were as full of envy and resentment toward Benjamin as they had been toward Joseph, this treatment would have drawn it to the surface. Let's see, let's see what's going on here among these guys. And if their hearts were as full of hatred and murder toward Benjamin as they had been toward Joseph. He, his plan was to provide them with a plausible means of covering it up. Joseph supplies enough adult beverages that the brothers get drunk. That is the meaning of Genesis 43-34. Joseph would know. He would know the truth if they murdered and lied again. If they killed Benjamin, told their father, oh, we we had too much to drink. There's one more thing about true forgiveness. God's forgiveness. Forgiving the way God forgives. And that is, God's forgiveness is inextricably linked to reconciliation. Now, We'll look at this, we're going to save the explanation of that for next week when we focus on Genesis 44 and 45, because that's, it starts to get good, right? You know, the reconciliation is, is going to happen. We know it's coming. But for right now, it, it's, it's important to register. You know, there is a common assumption by many today that you can forgive someone but not be reconciled to them. You can forgive somebody, but not be reconciled to them. It's like, <laughs> this, is, this is like leaving a gift on somebody's doorstep. You ring the bell, and then you drive away, and you never come back. Friends, when God forgives, He, he not only pardons sinners from guilt, our relationship with Him is restored. Communion is restored the fullness of the Father's joy and pleasure in all that He is in the saving person and work of Jesus, it just comes pouring out and overflowing to us again. That we might live in the good of that, in the pleasure of that, in the fullness of that. Our relationship with Him is restored. That is the whole purpose of the cross. Namely, restoration of communion with God and the reconciliation of our brokenness. The promise of the new covenant fulfilled in Jesus' broken body and shed blood is this. Listen to Ezekiel the prophet in chapter 11, verses 19 and 20. I'll give them one heart. I'll give a, put a new spirit within them. I'm going to take out their heart of stone from their flesh and I'm going to give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And the end of it is, they shall be my people. And I will be their God. Communion restored. Forgiveness leads to reconciliation. That's God's purpose. That's God's purpose. It is to make estranged sinners into a company of peoples. When the gospel is functioning. And we are restored to the life of Christ. The the fullness of the life of God. In union with Christ. It changes everything in relationship to God. And it's meant to function and change everything in relationship with our brothers and sisters. Estranged sinners are transformed into a company of peoples. A church for the nations. A church of the nations, a harmonious, unified, worshiping people. This is what the cross has purchased for us. And this is what we are about to participate in.